Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. Uh, this is going to be technically episode 13, I guess, and 14, too. So a longer podcast today. We have Richard back. We have everyone back. The crew's back. Uh, sorry for that hiatus. There were some severe audio issues that are way over my head, so sorry about that. But it gives us a lot more things to talk about, and Pro Tour happened. So we're going to weigh in on that in, in just a second. But before all that, uh, you can always follow us at mtggoldfish.com, at Saffron Olive, and at Bolt Snap Bolt. That's Richard, Seth, and myself. So let's just, before we uh, weigh in on Pro Tour, I'm going to go through the schedule here. We have Pro Tour. We have the Top 8. We have States, the modern States that happen in Star City Games. Uh, we're going to do Trending. And, Yeah. Let's just uh, weigh in on, on Pro Tour. What's up, Richard? What's up, Seth? What's up, guys? Hey. So, awesome Pro Tour, or or what? Uh, what are your thoughts, Richard? So, a lot of Dragon's Tarkir cards were actually played at the Pro Tour, so that was awesome, and we saw a lot of Dragons, so I think for once, like, the set kind of actually lived up to the hype. However, you know, the, the two most hyped cards, the two Planeswalkers, didn't see much play at all, so... So that was kind of a bummer, but overall I thought it was a pretty good pro tour and we had a lot of uh, interesting on-camera moments. Seth? Yeah, it, I mean, it was awesome. Getting up at, in the early hours of the morning kind of sucked, but after I got some coffee in me, I really enjoyed watching the coverage. It was uh, very entertaining, uh, lots of powerful things going on, very diverse, and just a good weekend all around. Yeah, and uh, Seth, you wrote a article on MTG Goldfish uh, summing up Dragons of Tarkir Pro Tour by the numbers. So do you want to go a little bit more into that? Yeah, so basically I just broke down uh, the 10 most played archetypes based on their performance, uh, how many made it in the 6 and 4 plus bracket, uh, how many made it to day 2, and so on. And basically the big takeaway was uh, blue-black control. The numbers on that deck were absolutely off the charts. Uh, 90% of the blue-black control players made it to day two, and almost half ended up getting their list published with a 6-4 better record. So blue-black control was definitely the story of the tournament, uh, even though it lost to my favorite deck in the world, Mono Red Aggro, in the finals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only Mono Red, we Mono Red players were packing some... Serious side uh, tech, uh, splashing green for a Tarka's command, that was insane. Uh, we we mentioned on a few podcasts uh, when we were going over Dragons of Tarkir that the two mana commands were probably going to see a lot of play, and that ended up translating into the Pro Tour, right? Yeah, I mean, a Tarka's command and a Dromoka's command were both among the most played Dragons of Tarkir cards. Um, so, and the other commands really didn't show up at all. So being two mana is definitely a huge plus if you're a command. Yeah. So Richard, some, some control decks, some actual real control decks showed up at the Pro Tour. How does that make you feel? Uh, good. Uh, the, the, the surprising thing about the blue-black control decks to me were the ones that splashed white for Dragonlord Ojitai. And it was a card I didn't see coming. Haven of the Spirit Dragon is that good, I think. Like, Dragonlord Ojitai has an extra clause saying that it cannot be killed because if you have Haven of Spirit Dragon in play, you can just keep bringing it back from your graveyard. So I think that new Dragonland is, is making a lot of these dragons more viable as 
finishers because you simply just cannot remove them, right? It's it's kind of like Aetherling in that respect. So Haven of the Spirit Dragon, to me, was like kind of the surprise card that I didn't really see coming, even though we all knew it would do good things, but it kind of just made a lot of dragons just a lot more playable. Based on the, the top eight, right? Uh, you, cu- you broke down the top eight, right, Seth? Um, actually, my article wasn't specifically about the top eight, but uh, I am familiar with it. Right, so there was a lot of blue-black control in there. Uh, do you think that going forward to battle these new red decks that people are going to be still on blue-black control, or do you feel like the Esper splash for the Ojitai might end up being the more favored control deck, Richard? Um, or maybe, I mean, Jeff Hoogland was on that sort of blue-red uh, that kind of did the same thing, only you have access to cards like Anger of the Gods. So if the game is balanced, Mono Red should beat Control, right? If Mono Red cannot beat Control, then Control is just far and away the best deck, right? Because Control will beat Midrange, and to balance things out, the Aggro deck should beat Control. So I would hope that, you know, these decks can get by, but Bile Blight into Drown and Sorrow may be too much. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see how this goes, because, you know, basically the, the Mono Red decks are playing all X1s, so, you know, any kind of, like, removal or, you know, minus one, minus one effects will, will you know, hinder them. So we'll, we'll see how people build their decks. But, you know, that's kind of a challenge with control. You have so many options to deal with your opponent's threats. Which ones do you put in your deck, right? And I think we're going to see a lot of variation in control decks going forward um, just to deal with, you know, the various different decks we see. What are a couple of decks that caught your eye, uh, just both of you? Uh, Seth, we'll start with you, that... They weren't the most successful at Pro Tour, but maybe something that people are, it's going to be popular on a lower EV sort of level. Like even like a Star City Open or a, you know, FNM level. Well, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is the Chromanicore Soul Flayer deck. Like, uh, five players, including Reed Duke, showed up, uh, with this crazy brew. Uh, none of them ended up finishing extremely well. But the deck looks like so much fun that having a hard time imagining people not wanting to play it. I, I agree. I think it's a, a great new, like, FNM slash, like, Star City open type deck that it, it looked really fun to play. And it housed one of the really breakout cards, one of the couple breakout cards at Pro Tour, uh, Den Protector. And we saw that doing uh, amazing things at Den Protector. Craig Re- Wesco said... It's an amazing card uh, after the Pro Tour was kind of over. And it even features Dragon Lord of Tarka, which we also saw break out in the Pro Tour uh, as sort of pros trying to go over the top and play these gigantic creatures um, that do really amazing things when they hit the battlefield. So uh, another deck that uh, didn't seem to do too well was the Green-White Devotion list. Yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, on Seth's article... The number of players day one, 22, number of players on or day one, on the, and then the number of players day two was 10. 22 total decks already. Uh, it didn't seem like very a very dominant deck to be playing at the Pro Tour. Yeah, it actually got outclassed by both Green Red and Mono Green Devotion, so I don't even think Green White is the best Devotion deck anymore. There were a couple of other things that we wanted to touch on in the Pro Tour, so... Uh, did you want to start this off, Richard? Now, uh, we were talking before the podcast. Uh, there were a lot of accounts, and, and there's articles going up now talking about this, 
of uh, some shady play going on at the Pro Tour, and then there was sort of the quote-unquote Chapin incident. So uh, do you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, uh, I don't know. We need to do something about cheating in Magic. It, it kind of, uh, I don't know, like removes or, you know, takes takes a toll on the integrity of the game. You know, it's one thing to be like, ah, oh, you know, it was bad luck. The opponent drew perfectly. But then to know afterwards that they cheated, like, you know, that's just like really, you just feel really bad about it. But, you know, it happens in all things, right? Professional sports things like that. Uh, it, it's a problem when stakes are high and pressure is on. People, you know, try to find a way to edge out an advantage. And for some people, that means cheating. Um, so hopefully we can get, I don't know what we would do to, to make it, but, you know, as more people are aware of how people cheat, they can actually catch their opponent cheating as a way of self-protection. But it's unfortunate for the game, and it's unfortunate that it happened at the highest level at the Pro Tour. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, when people play really hot, you know, are they cheating or are they not? Um, but to me, it's, it's a little stain on the game, but hopefully, you know, Wizards will handle it appropriately and, you know, something will be done going forward. Yeah, and I think it's just like a little disturbing. I mean, you just said it yourself, like, is it getting to a point where if a player starts to do really well at multiple tournaments, like, is this going to be a thing now that they're going to be accused of cheating? Like, like you said, it's, it's starting to ruin the integrity, and it's really gutsy to do it uh, on a stage such as the Pro Tour. I mean, it's a little appalling, to be honest. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely horrible. And I, I would tend to think that if you're someone that is cheating on the Pro Tour, this probably isn't your first time cheating. Like, I, I, I don't think that many honest players just all of a sudden devise this cheat for their first Pro Tour. So I would expect that uh, some of these players have probably been doing things like this all along. At least that's the impression that uh, that you get. And that's one of the problems is once you're caught cheating, not only is the tournament you're DQ'd from called into question, but all your past accomplishments are called into question too. Were you surprised to see so many uh, accounts? I mean, we do see it at the Pro Tour, but it feels like it's it's getting a little uh, – it's increasing almost every, every Pro Tour just on the pro tour itself. Yeah, I mean it it definitely seems like it's been coming up more and more often. I don't know if it's actually increasing or people are just uh getting better at catching these things. Like some of the accounts of cheating actually weren't even caught on camera, but then they came up on Reddit uh after uh, after the fact as people were rewatching the coverage. Yeah, I I mean that's a good thing that they're getting caught and more people as they're on camera are going back and bringing things up. So Maybe that's a good thing that it may just seem like there's more of it or maybe it's just getting better at catching it. So, I mean, I would just hope that it's still not happening that much, but we're just catching it because it it would just be a little uh, disturbing to see it's increasing, especially on a, a platform like Pro Tour. We also wanted to get into a little thing. So the Patrick Chapin, uh, uh, there was an article on Star City Games this morning by Cedric Phillips, so big fan Cedric, uh, and he talked about the the whole Chapin thing on camera. Did you want to touch on that a little bit, Richard? Uh, sure. I mean, this is all, you know, our own opinions, but, you know, I feel that Patrick is free to say whatever he wants to say, right? He he is free to make his arguments, but I felt like they should have been done, done in private, right? I'm sure he didn't appreciate it. 
that, you know, everyone else was listening to his argument and then the commentators commenting on it. So I think they should adopt, you know, an NFL style replay standard where kind of they cut away, the judges discuss, and then, you know, after the discussion, they come back on camera and then they explain the ruling and, you know, the decision behind or the process behind the ruling and then carry on with the game. Right. So I, I felt Wizards handled it a bit awkwardly. I'm sure they'll learn a lot from this incident and hopefully going forward, you know, we'll they'll have kind of a procedure uh, to do when uh, a ruling, you know, takes place like this. Seth, what do you think about the uh, the Chapin ruling or the, the, the camera time that it, it got during the pro tour? Well, the whole the whole thing in general, I guess. I mean, first off, I don't think either of the players did anything wrong. Like, Chapin was well within his rights to appeal the initial ruling, to argue his case. Um, his opponent didn't do anything wrong. Like, he he sat there and listened and uh, inserted his opinion when necessary. Uh, so I don't think either of the players are to blame here. I think that the coverage was the issue. Like, just a new player watching a pro tour doesn't need to watch Chapin argue with a level five judge for 15 minutes. Like that's just not productive for anyone. So I, I, I get the argument that maybe it could be a teachable moment or someone could learn something, but I think that it's more likely that a new player is just going to say, what the hell is going on here and switch over to something else and watch league of legends or something on the Twitch stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys, I, I guess I'm going to go against, both of you here, but I'm also going to agree with you at the same time. So I, I guess here's like a compromise. I, I think they should have kept it on this coverage, but I think I'm more leaning to what you said, Richard, like they, they show it and then they cut it and then that's it. And then maybe show the, the head judge coming in, making his ruling. And then that's it. I don't think we needed to see the entirety of the situation unfold on camera. I do think it, it is a good learning experience for new players and even veteran players uh, that, you know, on this kind of platform, you know, maybe a lot of people would get nervous or even at a lower level and people may just kind of accept a ruling. But if they have the chance to try to appeal, I mean, go for it. I mean, it's in the player's right to try to appeal a ruling. And it was nice to see it unfold and, you know, the rules being what they are on camera, I think ultimately you guys are right. And we didn't have to see the entire situation unfold on, on camera, but I think it was a great learning tool. I mean, hell, I mean, when I was watching it, if I was the judge and I'm sitting there as a player, I mean, I was inclined to believe him. I mean, he made a really great argument and I was like, Oh, I mean, shit, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was a mess up, but it's repairable. And there you go. Now, Cedric went into all these details about, you know, if Chapin got the ruling and then how would it be unfair to the other player? And I totally get that. Uh, upholding the rules is, a th- is you know, a thing that they try to do and maybe not so much in the past, but definitely more recently. So I think, uh, yeah, it could have been handled a better way. And I think they will, as Richard said, going forward, handle it in a better way. But I still think it's a learning experience. Th- this is not something that you're going to get on another TCG like on another card game in general, you're not going to see a judge come over in a Hearthstone tournament or a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament and uh, ha- you know have this happen the way it did. And it's still a learning experience. Hearthstone doesn't have rules. That's that's the actual <laughs> problem. Yeah. See, so you know, if something crazy would happen, you know, you're not going to get that experience. It's it's a 
it's a real life. There's two real life people playing. There's rules involved, and I think some of that should spill over into the coverage sometimes. But you do know about Hearthstone how there's like no actual stack and things happen in different orders for different cards, and no one really knows <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Aside from knowing like the actual individual case for each one, it's actually pretty yeah. funny. Like how well-designed magic is because, you know, there's always a correct ruling, right? You just got to you just gotta be a level 5 judge to know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you got to love uh, killing, uh, you know, a Sylvanas with one of those shre- uh, shredders and then both abilities happen at the same time and they steal the creature that comes down afterwards anyway, so yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, who knows what the order goes. But one thing uh, you anyway. brought up, which is which I find very interesting, is like the intricacies of professional level play. Like, you know, if you play at F&M and you get a judge ruling, it probably goes a lot different than what we saw on camera. And there's actually a lot of things about Magic that are like that. Like, you know, trying to figure out if you can split into the top eight or something, you know, it's this weird dance that no one knows what's going on and no one ever teaches you about. Or, you know, how to ask for a concession, you know, how to split a prize or, you know, how to draw in. Like, there's all these, like, weird dances that no one really covers. And then, you know, people kind of screw it up all the time. And then, you know, you kind of miss out the top eight or whatever because you drew incorrectly or you split when you shouldn't have. So it's actually a very interesting side of competitive magic for uh, people who actually... Uh, grind and, and try to make their way, you know, into the highest level of competition. Yeah, you make a couple great points there. And, uh, yeah, like I said, it, it's a real-life game, and those those factors do happen, whether, you know, not all of them are always in our faces all the time. Some of us just play, and that's it. Uh, so you make a great couple points there, Richard. That being said, so the Pro Tour, any, anything else you guys want to chime in on on the Pro Tour before we move along? I, I, I'm really excited about the, the, some of the deck lists coming in from the modern states uh, for Star City Games. So we want to talk about a little of those, too. Um, yeah, I think the only thing is dragons. Like, I think everyone <laughs> underestimated Haven of the Spirit Dragon. Like, it basically yeah, I, makes you play dragons, right? Having this there, there aren't a lot of colorless lands it can compete with right now, so you can just kind of jam it in for free into any deck, and it lets you, it helps you cast your dragons, and it lets you bring them back, right? And I, I feel like it kind of um, dictated a lot of the the deck choices because this card is just so powerful, and it wasn't something that people, or at least I initially thought would be like so crazy, right? I just thought, oh, you know, it's a, it's a good value card, yeah, but. You know, you can play basically any random dragon in a control deck, and that is your finisher because it is basically unkillable with Haven and Spirit Dragon. So I, I thought that was a breakout card that's kind of under the radar. Uh, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, they even had the dragon counter going on through the tournament, which I found, it, it was like, I guess it was fine and all, but it just really makes, like, the design, they made all these awesome dragons. No one really kind of knew what Dragons of Tarkir was going to do. All these like very like a very casual centric card or debt or set rather, and then you see all these dragons like popping around in the pro tour and actually competitive. Atarka, Silumgar, Ojutai, Thunderbreak Regent, Icefall Regent. You see all these dragons like breaking out and they're doing like really good stuff. Um, so how does that make you feel, uh, Seth? Because I know uh, at first uh, you kind of were a little apprehensive about the set being like very kind of casual centric. 
I, I'm a little surprised, honestly, but at the same time, I'm happy because it makes control good again. It's been a while since we've had a real control deck, so if I have to play dragons uh, to allow myself to play counter spells and card draw, then I guess I can uh, suck it up and deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> or you could play a tar- like Red Sly Splash Atarka Command. Or Green White Devotion. <laughs> You would never play the red deck, let's be honest. No, that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys right. think about the fate of our two Planeswalkers here? They they kind of didn't meet the hype. Um, not at all. What does this mean for Standard? You know, Are are these just going to tank and, and become the next Tybalt? Probably not. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what what happened here? Why, why was Sarkin not, you know, actually broken? He was very unbroken this weekend. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. Um, I don't think Narset is going to be a Tybalt level, uh, but from what you were saying, Seth, Sarkhan's kind of entering that Tybalt level online. Price-wise, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really think Sarkhan was going to be good uh, in Standard, like right off the bat, maybe at some point, but I still think Narset has a shot. Uh, it's still a very powerful Planeswalker, Maybe if, you know, Esper starts becoming really popular, I know somewhere in there those Esper decks were kind of splashing her, maybe a couple of copies, but um, no, she's definitely not that new Jace the Mind Sculptor, four of and every blue deck type Planeswalker. So in terms of tanking, I I think Sarkhan will end up tanking down and Narset will maintain some sort of, you know, relevance and price, Uh, but that just leaves open for some other cards to increase, you know, soak up some of that value or, you know, see more play. Teamer was always really that, really that oddball shard. So what, what do you think, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, to me, it's definitely scary that uh, Control was such a big player at this tournament and that Narset wasn't. Like, that's, uh, apart from maybe a Jeskai tokens or something, it seems like a Control deck is exactly where you'd want Narset to be. So if all these pros spent two weeks building the best control deck possible and decided that Narset wasn't a part of that, uh, I'm not holding very high hopes that she's going to be a big player, at least until rotation this fall. Yeah, so I think that's really the fate of those two Planeswalkers and Dragons. All right, uh, so that's all of Pro Tour. Uh, so a lot to say about that. It was really interesting to watch. The, the timing was insane. Like 3 a.m. is just too much, man. <laughs> Did you get to watch any of it, Richard? Uh, yeah, they're called VODs. <laughs> I'm not, oh, I, I mean, didn't stay up and watch live. Them, that's ridiculous. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You did, did you watch any of the draft or just this Constructed? No, I skipped all of them. And I, I, I didn't actually watch all of Constructed. I just fast-forwarded to what I wanted to watch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Another thing that happened uh, coinciding with the Pro Tour is the modern states and the deck lists are starting to trickle in oh and before we start talking about this you can find all the pro tour stuff uh on the, on the website on mtg goldfish and seth's article breaking down all those numbers but seth why don't you you mentioned a few decks that are starting to come in on the the states uh results for modern anything uh anything you like well, there there is definitely some spicy stuff going on in Modern this past weekend. We have, uh, there's three decks really that really stuck out to me that uh, were played at various states. 
one of them is a Cheerios deck. It's a, a build around Pure Steel Paladin and Monastery Mentor. And then the rest of the deck is basically zero cost artifacts, mostly equipments that work with Pure Steel. So you can cycle through your entire deck basically because Pure Steel lets you draw a card whenever you cast an equipment spell. And then you either win with a million Monastery Mentor tokens or by grape shotting your opponent. You have a singleton grape shot. So that deck looks awesome. There's also a Protein Hulk combo deck, which uses Body Double and Revlark to do some crazy things. And someone built a Miracles deck, uh, which is playing in Treat the Angels in Terminus in a, uh, a blue-white control shell, and basically trying to port over Legacy uh, Miracles to the modern format. Wait, 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 wait. Sensei's Divining Top is not modern legal, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is how not. Do you, how do you manipulate the top of your library with this deck? Uh, I think you just try to get lucky. <laughs> so you're actually like hoping for the miracle each turn, right? It's a literal miracle in this case, yeah. <laughs> it's a literal miracle. Uh, that sounds interesting for sure. I don't know about you know the whole porting certain legacy decks over to modern. Sometimes it probably will end really ugly. Yeah, some some really interesting deck lists are coming through. I I just like the fact that people are trying new things in modern and do you think this could you know start a couple trends going forward maybe i don't know i think these are these are odd tournaments all the pros are over at the pro tour obviously uh i think a lot of these tournaments have maybe 50 70 players so they're not super huge like a grand prix or even a scg open so it might be a more casual crowd than most tournaments. Uh, so so I, I don't know what to make of these results, really. Yeah. The thing is, is like people are always looking for something fun and, and new to play. So maybe that ends up sparking like a lot of people trying to play a, a literal miracles deck, <laughs> trying to draw miracles. I, I actually uh, think these decks are good when you draw correctly, right? This... You know, this is not these these decks aren't just like a pile of jank cards put together, right? Like why right. do you get the right sequence? Um, they're very powerful and they'll crush like a tier one deck. The the main problem is consistency. Right? Yeah. If you have your Cheerios deck and you don't have Pure Steel Paladin out, like your deck kinda does nothing. Yeah. Right? So but you know, when you get the Pure Steel Paladin draw, your deck crushes. So I think it just comes down to consistency, um, with a deck like this. And if you get lucky for like four rounds, then that's enough to take you know, to, to top eight states, right? So I, I think it's consistency. And I think um, this, it's what really separates the tier one decks from the tier two decks and the tier three decks. The tier one decks are powerful and they're consistent. Whereas the tier two decks are usually powerful, but not consistent. So they can still take down tournaments, but I don't know if you want to be playing this week in and week out. Yeah, I'll say, I'll tell you what, you know, just cruising through some of these deck lists, um, there was a, there's the states in Texas this green black glissa uh glissa the trader is it's it's centered around looks insanely fun to play <laughs> i'm not going to lie you do make a great point richard a lot of these these aren't just like random jank cards that like people just throw together and take to states like there is some there's deck building choices there's testing that goes on in some capacity uh to bring this to a states i know you Seth, you said you know maybe it's a little more casual and maybe it is but people are starting to experiment with a, 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 a lot of different cards. I mean, we've seen 
I mean, just looking through these, I mean, Monastery Mentor is popping up a lot, right? Yeah, Monastery Mentor was all over these deck lists, and it's actually been picking up steam in Modern for a little bit since, uh, I can't remember, I think it was one of the Japanese guys had a Esper Monastery Mentor list for Modern a couple months ago. So that card's definitely picking up steam in the format, and I think people play these decks, but these aren't the kind of decks that I would expect to top eight the next Modern Pro Tour or Grand Prix because I think those type of players are going to trend towards Splinter Twin and Abzan and all these well-known, super powerful, consistent strategies. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, kind of sucks. We, we'd have nothing really to talk about with Legacy, right, Richard? Nope, Legacy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you Actually, we brought up uh, before the podcast, do you want to talk about this weird mono-white stacks list? <laughs> oh yeah, so on Reddit today there was this nice post about how Caleb Derwood uh 0 a daily with uh Nick's Fleece Ram. <laughs> and oh, okay. Zero five Tower House. Uh <laughs> basically it's a stack deck and it's a mono white stack deck and it plays Nick's Fleece Ram. And Nick's Fleece Ram is like actually not that bad in legacy. It blocks Tarmogoy for quite a while. So I can't believe I'm here. I'm it's here actually a, a five-toughness <laughs> creature. You know, it doesn't die to bolt, right? It's actually not the worst in the world. So oh it's it's super spicy, man. That's, that's that's what it is. Listen, man, I'm I'm accepting of Guramag Angler and all this crazy stuff. But I mean, I think I draw the line at Nick's Police Ram. <laughs> I don't know about that. Five toughness is a lot of toughness. <laughs> I guess it really doesn't die. Like people are sitting there trying to kill you with young pyromancer and dahlias, and you're like zero five wall. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Blocks whatever, gains you life every turn. And Ugh. I don't think it even has defender, right? Does it have defender? No. Yeah, no, yeah no. you can slap a sword on it, a GK, <laughs> like no problem, right? GTA and Nick's Police Ram is overpowered. <laughs> I guess. I guess it really. Uh, it it shows the power of Stoneforge Mystic more than next place Ram. <laughs> that Stoneforge Mystic can make any creature good. Well, and this was on Moto, so it forwarded on Moto, and there's a lot of burn decks on Moto. So Nick's Fleece right. Ram does a lot of work there, and you know, a lot of the Delver variants are just basically burn splash delver. So it does a lot of work. It's not you know, I, I don't know that this is the new meta, this is gonna be a, a tier one deck, but you know, it it's it's good. I mean, it, it won. So yeah, uh, it's interesting to see Hero Bladehold. Uh, th- that's showing up in a lot of white uh, base deck lists now, right? It's really good in Legacy. Um, so it, it's good. So I've played Hero Bladehold in Legacy. So so what happens is people burn all of their removal uh, pretty early. So um, you're going to see uh, you're going to see people doing. Swords on your Deathrite Shamans, your Stoneforge Mystics, your Thalias or whatever. And basically on turn four, you slap down Hero Bladehold, and they don't have removal spells, and you kill them in two turns. So it's kind of that finisher that, you know, if you get it a stick, it's very hard to deal with. Like, you can't bolt it. Um, but, you know, if they somehow have a sword build, it's like terrible momentum swim, right? Four <laughs> mana for one mana. It's like terrible. But, you know, it's one of those, like, one-card finishers that, People play as a curve topper. Um, I've tried it. I've, I've removed it from my deck because you don't want to draw to your opening hand. Like, if you're not playing a blue deck, like, you can't brainstorm it away, so it kind of sucks. But it's really powerful. It's a two-turn finish, so uh, it, it gets there pretty quick. 
All right, so that kind of wraps up the whole brewing section of these modern states, and we we wanted to throw in something legacy so uh, Richard doesn't get too bored with modern stuff. <laughs> um, so that leads us with uh, trending. So do you want to start us off with that, uh, Seth? Let's do the the weekly trending on both standard and modern. All right, so for standard, uh, the big winners are unsurprisingly, dragons, um, mostly things that performed well at the Pro Tour, uh, Dragonlord Atarka, Dragonlord Slumguard, Icefall Regent, Den Protect- Protector, uh, Dramoka's Command, uh, Dragonlord Ojitai, Atarka's Command, Haven of the Spirit Dragon, Thunderbreak Regent, and Xenagos Reveler. So almost exclusively Dragons of Tarkir cards uh, for the standard weekly. And then in modern, we're looking at uh, oddly enough, Tarmogoyf, uh, Urza's Tower, Crucible of Worlds. I think this might be the second week in a row that's been on there. Uh, Maga, Traitor of Mortals. Dragon Broodmother, Sword of Light and Shadow again. Um, Scion of the Erdragon, Jason Mind Sculptor, and Snapcaster Mage. Yeah, so also there was a... Uh, I mean, I, I've been tracking this card. Uh, there is finally it kind of is starting to really take off. Um, in you can find it under the legacy, but uh, sphere of resistance. So there you go, Richard. Uh, as lands is really popular, uh, these these pack sphere of resistance in their sideboard as they're like pretty much only out to anything combo oriented. Huh. <laughs> I'm surprised. This is even a card. <laughs> yeah. Is it Thalia just much better? Do people play? Well, I think it's I think it's easier for the lands deck to play an artifact rather than like a creature. Hmm. So maybe I, I think they want the artifact. Probably because they're tabernacle. I think they would have to yeah. pay for the creature. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's been showing up. Uh, modern. So basically, kind of really uh, standard stuff, right, Seth? Uh, other than like Maga, I don't know what that's about. Uh, tiny just, leaders, I guess. Yeah, I guess tiny leaders. It's, it seems odd that Urza's Tower is spiking, considering it's likely to be in Modern Masters uh, in another month or two. Yeah, all the Urza's lands have been slowly creeping up, especially the Antiqu- Antiquities one for the uh, Black Border. Yeah, those yeah those ones are probably fine actually, but eight fifty for a ninth edition Urza's Tower that's <laughs> white border. You you can keep it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my Antiquities one for eight fifty. Um, but yeah, so Snapcaster, Jace the Mind Sculptor, uh, that's a that's a odd one. Uh, but I guess that's not you know, modern legal. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the movers or shakers are done by sets and not uh, right. the band list. So I gotta update that. <laughs> right. Um, Dragon Broodmother, I don't know what's going on with that, but, uh, Tarmogoyf, here we are, Seth, talking about Tarmogoyf pretty much, like, every single week. Do we have to? <laughs> I think we have to. <laughs> what's going on with Tarmogoyf, Seth? <laughs> I don't know anymore. I'm tired of answering this every week. I, apparently people, maybe no one realizes that Modern Masters comes out in a month or two. Like, maybe everyone just forgot about that. I'm not... I don't know why I don't know why it's increasing in price honestly. I know some people have been saying recently with the information on uh the uh, allotment of modern masters boxes that they don't think the price will go down as much as they initially thought, but I still think it's got to get down under 150, maybe down to even like 125 at some point. So, 
So I don't know. I don't know why people are apparently buying it right now. Seth is officially stumped. <laughs> I'm stumped. <laughs> on on Tarmogoyf. He's done. <laughs> no more Tarmogoyf going forward. We're not. It's over. <laughs> Hooting mandrills, baby. <laughs> Werebear. Wait, is Werebear modern legal? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, no, Werebear is not modern legal. It really sucks. That's unfortunate. We'll just have to play Gurmag Angler. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Screw Tarmogoyf. We're going with Hootie Mandrels and Gurmag Angler. We're doing legacy style crazy cards with uh, Richard. Um, as, as far as standard goes, yeah, that's a lot of dragons. So Jamoka's Command's actually up to that price point we thought it would be, right, Seth? Uh, yeah, it's, it's nine bucks now, and we were thinking nine or ten would probably be about where it would end up if it uh, performed well at the Pro Tour, and uh, that's exactly where it is. So, hooray. <laughs> do, do you feel, psychologically, I feel this is, like, far too high. Like, nine dollars for some random I spell so, feels, yeah. like, really bad. <laughs> what? Like, as a player, like, nine dollars for, a, like... This random value spell, like, it's not a cool dragon, it's not a planeswalker, it's kind of just a spell, right? It's It feels really bad to me, like, you know, I, I kind of want to spend all my money on flashy dragons, not, like, you know, just <laughs> hyper-efficient cards, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a good point, though, really. Like, I think for a lot of players, it's easier to justify spending 15 bucks on a sweet new Elder Dragon than spending 10 bucks for a two-for-one removal spell, which doesn't look that much different than, like, Ultimate Price or something if you're just a casual player. So I think this card will definitely decrease. I think it's pretty much at its ceiling now. I don't think it can go much over this. Uh, so I would think it'll go back down to the 5 $6 range as the set keeps being opened. And hopefully that'll make all the casual players a little more happy. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. Yeah, very interesting stuff, right, Seth? Uh, all these uh, trendings week to week. Uh, but yeah, the standard section was dominated by a lot of Dragons of Tarkir stuff. So how does that actually work out with the EV now? Um, I know you wrote the article a few weeks ago, so is it starting to get into a realm where it's more normal, or is it going to just drop off again as more boxes are starting to get opened? Well, I mean, it will it will start dropping off again. It has increased right now at TCG mid-prices. Uh, Dragons of Tarkir box is worth about $97, which is actually up like 15 or 20 bucks from its low point. But that's going to start trending back down. Just for comparison, like to give you a sense on what most sets look like, uh, right now, Fate Reforged is 68, Cons is 69, Journey to Nyx, 64, M15, 80. So it's going to drop down somewhere between... 65 and 75 dollars typically right so for now um if you can i guess really quickly start cracking boxes right yeah i mean you're not quite to the point where um you can expect to make a big profit cracking boxes but if you're gonna crack boxes do it sooner rather than later so yeah uh the trending stuff so uh, some of the losers here we go, uh, on the standard side. So Sarkhan, as Richard mentioned, Narset right, right at the top, uh, Monastery Mentor, which seems surprising to me actually, uh, Ashiok, Elspeth, Bramaz, Ojutai Exemplars, Dragon Whisperer, uh, Shaman of the Great Hunt. So, 
Theros stuff, which is not surprising, and just stuff that hasn't really panned out at the Pro Tour uh, from Dragons and even the other standard um, sets, right? This isn't really that surprising. No, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, so stuff that really didn't do well at the Pro Tour, you know, I would start getting rid of. Maybe hold on to a couple of those mythics, like a Dragon Whisper or something. But, I mean, you'd be leaving money on the table not getting out of them, right? So if, if you were holding on to a standard card that you bought, uh, hoping that it would be good at the Pro Tour, like a Dragon Whisper or something like that, what would you be doing with that stuff? Yeah, I mean, unless it's something that you feel really strongly about for rotation this fall, um, I would say that I would be getting rid of it uh, right away before the prices drop more. Um, so the only card on that list, actually, that I could see a good argument for might actually be Dragon Whisperer which could like become an important part of a mono red deck and be 10 or 15 bucks come fall. Yeah. So, uh, Richard, did you want to chime in on any of that? Sphere of Resistance? No. <laughs> it's it, an old card. So, with all these dragons increasing in price, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, you know, on one hand, it's like, yeah, we have value in our, our boxes now, but on the other hand, if you're a casual player who wants dragons, like, it kind of sucks, right? <laughs> like... <laughs> It's like twenty dollars for a dragon now. It's like ah, you know, it was better when they were like five, ten dollars. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword here, right? Like as as the prices increase, you get more value from your packs, but if you're just trying to pick up singles, you're like ah, you know, eighty dollars for a playset of dragon loaded tarkas, right? Like, so yeah, really sucks. But um, I mean, a tarka did very well in the pro tour, so don't I don't not that surprised, but yeah, it really does suck for the people that really kind of just want this stuff for casual and EDH purposes and stuff like that, even tiny leaders. Uh, so is there anything, I think we covered everything. Is there anything else that we need to go over or talk about? Anything you guys want to talk about? Uh, no, one, one new modern master spoiler start. Anyone know? <laughs> I was trying to figure that out. I'm not sure if they do two or three weeks for modern masters. I know big sets that usually do three weeks of spoilers, but for some reason I think it's different with modern masters. Uh, either way, it should be the first or second week of May, I believe they should be starting. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right so we have two weeks of downtime and then more goodies. More goodies, yep. and then right after that, we'll be heading into Magic Origins, basically. Jeez. <laughs> we are going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> but that's good, because uh, we always like spoilers, right? Spoilers are fun, yeah. How we learn how wrong we are about <laughs> our contradictions. <laughs> Freaking Death Miss Raptor. Oh, my God. <laughs> At least with Gurmag Angler. <laughs> At least with Modern Masters, we already know that these cards are good, so we won't look as stupid as usual. <laughs> like, hey, Tarmogoyf, I bet that'll that'll see some play, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. actually very funny going back to forums. They're like, Dark Confidant, this card is terrible. Why do you want to pay life for a 2-1? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Tarmogoyf, what, what good is this card? It, it must have some inter, you know, some interactions with some new card in the future, right? Feature site. It's <laughs> a terrible card. Yeah. yeah. Terrible card. I mean, maybe it could be like a 2-3 max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading back on that, and someone, their their comment was, yeah, Tarmogoyf, seems like it might be all right with Buried Alive. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's what you got to do. You got to Buried Alive for, uh, to get your Tarmogoyf to work. 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> Ten bucks for a Tarmogoyf? Like, pfft, I'll wait till it goes down to two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 200. <laughs> Alright, so that's all for the MTG Goldfish podcast today. Uh, always a pleasure doing it here with the crew. So yeah, uh, if anything, send us some fish mail. We'll we'll answer it. Um, is there anything going on with the site that anything that that everyone needs to know about, Richard? The uh, t-shirts actually we're sending, we're we're getting sent out, right? Yeah, I believe everyone who ordered a t-shirt should have gotten theirs. I think I got mine uh, last weekend, and on Twitter I've seen a couple people posting their pictures. So if you got a t-shirt, Sweet. post it to our, our Twitter or our Facebook. Let me let me see you wearing our cool swag and. Hopefully you uh, you top eight your next event wearing our shirt. <laughs> yeah, we'll be Good wearing it when time. we podcast, right? They won't be able to see it, but we're we're doing it in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for stopping into the MTG Goldfish uh, podcast, and we'll see you next time. It's the crew signing out.